0: Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com.
1: Welcome to something to wrestle wrestle with. Bruce
2: Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard.
1: Well, you
2: know, that's not a rib. She pooped it. She pooped no, yeah, There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor innuendo. No. and innuendo. And Was he there? I was there. Like,
1: I don't give a shit. <laughs> I ain't scared of shit I ain't scared of shit. Fuck him. You, Bruce. I love you. Give double cheese. Hey,
0: hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle With, Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Well, Conrad, it is New York City, and I am absolutely excellent, because it's WrestleMania. Uh, you're in you WrestleMania hell, is where you are. You're knee-deep in it. We're in the heart of New York City, and uh, we're going to be talking about the one and only Michael P.S. Hayes today. But first, we need to talk about last week, because we got a lot of feedback from last week's show. A lot of people not happy with me. WrestleMania 17 is overrated. Well, that's because you
2: were wrong. I was right. And all of our audience was right, too, because they
0: felt that, well, it was the greatest WrestleMania of all time. Is it going to be better than this Sunday's WrestleMania? That's to be seen. Okay. Well, We'll find out. But how about this? The day after this Sunday's WrestleMania, you and I are going to be putting the band back together one last time here in New York City. And the one and only Jim Ross will be joining us. And for obvious reasons, that will never happen again. Bruce Pritchard and Jim Ross on stage. I'm looking forward to this. Tell everybody where they can get tickets and, and what you expect to happen Monday night after all. It's the easiest place in the world to get tickets. All you got to do is head on over to BrucePrichard.com. I
2: don't know what instrument Jim's going to play, but I am looking forward to seeing my good old buddy J.R. Hearn, Sasser Frass, it murmur there, right, right down the street, right there in Brooklyn, <laughs> right after Raw's going to be there. Oh, Brucey's going to be there. They are. We're going to have us at Sassafras time.
0: Is said instrument? Well, play you it.
2: said to bring, put the band back together, and I'm not sure what instrument the gym will be playing in that band because well, everybody's got to play something.
0: Well, you play the skin flute these no, days. No, I don't. Uh, yeah. Now that you're back with Vince, that's no. what's required. I no. Get it. But what is required is that uh, you go ahead and check us out on Patreon. Bruce is going to have some bonus content for you. If you haven't already checked it out, please do. It's patreon.com forward slash Pritchard Show. And uh, let's get into it, man. Without further ado, the one and only Michael P.S. Hayes, born March 29th, 1959 in Philadelphia, PA. That's actually the reason we originally wanted to cover him a couple of weeks ago on the 29th. He moved to Pensacola when he was like eight years old and uh, starts wrestling in 1979 using uh, his real name as a referee. And back in the day when he was working that Florida, Alabama, Tennessee territory, he was uh, riding up and down the roads with Hollywood John Tatum. It's a name we haven't talked about much on the show here. You got any John Tatum stories you can share with us? Well, John Tatum and Missy Hyatt were an item for a time. And and John
2: is actually the the first one that brought Missy Hyatt into the wrestling business per se. And John brought Missy to the Mid-South area. They were a tandem, good-looking team to young people. And uh, that's also where Missy and Eddie Gilbert first met, and then they became a tandem hmm. and eventually got Same married. Same pattern here. Yeah, and, but that was John Tatum. And I think that uh, you know Johnny was an interesting cat and that wasn't the best worker in the world. And the guy we're going to be talking about today, Michael Hayes, wasn't the greatest worker in the world.
0: Well, I'm glad you said but that. Michael he because, was a
2: damn good man yeah. on the mic.
0: Yeah, and really, in wrestling, sometimes a big personality compensates for maybe what you lack in the ring and vice versa. So you talked about him not being maybe the best worker in the world. Of course, we're talking about Michael Hayes. He's trained by Offa, the Wild Samoans. I didn't know that so I started doing research for this yes. show. Offa uh, is, uh, i mean he's got quite the legacy as a trainer. Tell everybody some of the other folks he would have trained over the years.
2: Well, Offa actually helped start Batista. And Billy Kidman, the list kind of goes on and on, because during that era, there weren't a lot of schools for guys to go and learn the trade. There weren't a lot of places, if you wanted to become a professional wrestler, to go and learn. And Offa provided that opportunity for people. Plus, he was a pretty good trainer, he and his brother. So, What do you think wrestling school cost back then? It, depend, it would depend on the guy running it. Some guys were just looking for that, that quick $300 payday. So, hey, you know, come on in and pay 300 But I believe
0: at the time, Michael was paying $10 a week. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. Well, hey, if uh, payments have you down, you should uh, go ahead and check out our friends over at Lightstream. Isn't that right, Macho? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. That's what I'm talking about. Because you know what feels great? Paying off those
1: high-interest credit cards,
2: getting a lower rate, and
1: saving money. Uh huh, yeah. And you can get a fixed rate as low as 6.14% APR with autopay. And you get a loan from 5,000 to 100,000 with no fees. You can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. Plus. Lightstream is a division of SunTrust Bank, one of the nation's largest financial institutions. So you can have complete peace of mind. Freak out, freak out. You wanna save even more? Well, my listeners get an additional interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash wrestle. That's L I G H T S T R E A M dot com. Put that slash in there and then put
3: wrestle on
1: huh? Yeah, subject to credit approval rate includes a 0.50% auto discount. Auto pay discount, that is. Terms and conditions apply, and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash wrestle
0: for more information. Oh, yeah. Huh. Some more information I found during my research here is that P.S. helped get in the business with Bill Moody. I didn't know that they were running mates way back in the day. That's sort of weird to think about. Hey Bill Pete. Moody from Mobile, Alabama. Tell everybody who Bill Moody, or what would Bill Moody sound like, maybe?
2: Oh! Michael Hayes, rest in peace.
0: Uh, Actually, the free free words were kind of known for uh, for peeing on people. Maybe it would be rest in piss. Good point. You think? Good point, yeah. Yeah, That could happen. Probably did. Uh, What did uh, Michael ever share with you or or Paul Bearer share with you about the early days with them together? Sounds like a lot of weed going on. (laughs) I
2: don't think that they were... Either one of them making enough money to, to be partaking in a lot of weed. However, in, in anticipation of this show, I did talk to Michael a little bit, and this will get you, Conrad, see. Because back in the day, he was talking about $10 a week sure. for, for lessons, and it was like $10 for a lid, a pot. What is, what
0: is a lid of pot? See, I knew that you young whippersnappers would not know what a lid is. I don't know what a lid is. It's, that's like a store that sells hats in the mall.
2: Well, no, a lid was, you know, like a bag of pot, you know, about an ounce of pot and everything. And so That was a lid. So you would go down to your local drug dealer and say, hey, buddy, got a lid on you?
0: Yeah, I do. How much?
2: And Michael was going for them $10 lids.
0: What, you could get a $10 ounce of weed? Back in the
2: day. A lot of dirt in that bag. A lot of dirt. It was dirty weed, didn't it? Yeah, it wasn't the good stuff. Mostly shake, probably. Probably. Nah, well, a lot of stems. A lot of seeds. Yeah. Just, you know. It counts, dude, dude. Hey, it just means you got to smoke more of it.
0: Hey, so 1979, when he's wrestling for Mid-South Wrestling, at the suggestion of Bill Watts, he forms a tag team with Terry Bam Bam Gordy. And they win those Mid-South Tag Team titles three times. And there they become the Fabulous Three Birds. And, of of course, easy for me to say, the Fabulous Free Birds. Uh, He becomes Michael P.S. Hayes. There's been lots of debate over the years. Clear it up. Tell everybody what Michael says the P.S. stands for.
2: Well, fuck. Michael, like. Sick,
0: purely sexy. they <laughs> Over the years, though, you guys have probably come up with other things to stand for. Those oh God, yeah, we did. The,
2: Bill Watts did the prissy sissy and uh, a few other things that you can't say on TV. But no, Michael, man, he didn't do the he didn't do the PS shit until he came back in in the mid '80s in the mid South, and that's when he adopted the PS.
1: I'm updating
2: my gimmick, dude. Dude, dude. I'm gonna be PS now.
0: Fuck, law enforcement. Fuck me, it's fuck you. Oh, that's my favorite Brian Gerwitz uh, version of Michael Hayes. So he meets Terry Gordy as a teenager in Mississippi, and you know, one of the, instantly these guys hit it off, become big running mates. And um, you know, when they first sort of become buds, they're both teenagers. Uh, And I don't think we've talked about Terry Gordy a lot here on the show. I know he's really, really special to Michael. Tell us about, you know, Michael's relationship with Gordy and, more importantly, what Gordy's sort of reputation was amongst his peers in the business. Well, when they first broke into the business, both very young,
2: they were both teenagers, I believe, Terry younger than Michael – However, Terry was the workhorse, and even at that young age, Terry was this big, just romping, stomping, brawler type of individual that could go out, work with anybody, and he was the fact that he was a big guy made him, hey, he'll be great for the main event. So you, you put Terry Gordy into that situation, then you've got a mouthpiece like Michael Hayes. Michael can go cut the promo, go get the heat, send Bam Bam in to do all the work. People love working with Bam Bam. I've never heard any complaints about anybody not wanting to work with Terry Gordy. Michael, maybe, but Gordy, never. You know, Terry was a workhorse. But that relationship between Michael and Terry, they were brothers. They loved each other. They rode up and down the roads together. They did everything together and they were family. So it wasn't just. Wasn't a tag team partner. It wasn't a business relationship. It was a it was a brotherhood, and they loved one another as deeply as you can, man to man.
0: I think uh, Michael. I said a fellow named Frankie Kane put them together. Great I said, Mephisto. I, I, I'm, oh, well, there you go. Okay, because I was going to say I've never even heard that name, but that was his real name. Yeah. And and we've established on the show that I can't say his gimmick name. You can't say the no. Great Mephisto. No, I always want to come on. Let's do it. I always want to say Memphisito, which is not it. And I did that the first time, and you like tried to slap me. This was years ago. So let's talk about uh, <laughs> Memphisito. Yeah, for me, he'll always be the great Memphisito. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Oh shit! Well, we'll stick with Frankie Kane. Yeah, we'll go with Frankie Kane for now. I, I want to talk about you know one of the things that Michael is really credited for, and a lot of people sort of take claim for this, but he says that it was his idea to first sort of bridge the gap between rock and roll and pro wrestling. And at the time, maybe wrestling wasn't ready for it. And Eventually, he talks Terry Gordy into it, and then they talk Jerry Jarrett into it, and he goes for it. And they start doing the entrance to the Freebird, the Leonard Skinner song, Freebird, uh, on Memphis TV, and it sort of grew from there. Now, everybody has a different version of how music got introduced into wrestling. Have you heard Michael Hayes' version, and what do you think of that? I've heard Michael Hayes' version, but,
2: again, you go back to the 50s. Of course, George had entrance music, and to my knowledge was the first wrestler to ever have entrance music. In the in the early 70s, Bad Bad Leroy Brown came out to Bad Bad Leroy Brown. Right. So he had entrance music. Look, every era, there's going to have your guy that claims to do it. Michael, okay, Michael was the first team. Tag team with three guys in it that came out to Freebird. So they were the first ones to be the Freebirds that came out to Freebird.
0: One of the uh, stories that Michael always points to as a reason to sort of explain his um, affection for Terry Gordy is there was a territory where they were going to fire Michael Hayes. And Terry Gordy says well, that, that
2: that just that just Surprise. comes a lot of fucking territory of territories.
0: Well, Terry Gordy said, "If you don't want Michael, you don't want me." And Terry Gordy quit. And Terry Gordy was regarded as being, you know, the workhorse of that duo. So they left the building together, and and they were fast friends ever since. Yeah, they were, and, and like I said, that was it was
2: a family situation, and I dare say, the closest. Second to that would probably be Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express back in the day. They were a threesome, and they were a team. And where
0: one went, all three went. Well, when they went to world class, they set the world on fire. They did huge business out there with Fritz and the gang. And uh, a lot of their success, I think, as a, as a team comes from their rivalry with the Von Erics. Of course, they were a bunch of Texas boys, and the Freebirds came in. With uh, all their Georgia stuff. And that really is what Michael Hayes would say is the reason they used the Confederate flag because that portion of, or that is actually, that still appears on the Georgia state flag now, I believe. And they wanted to make it like a a state rivalry. And it was Georgia versus Texas. And those guys did monster business, including a pretty famous night and a cage match with Ric Flair and Kerry Von Erich where Michael Hayes was the referee. Talk a little bit about, I know you weren't there, but you were at least keeping up with the business, and that was in your home state. What did that rivalry mean? What did that night mean? And what do you make of the whole Georgia-Texas thing as an explanation behind the rebel flag?
2: Well, it, it even went a little deeper than that because WTBS in Atlanta was the first superstation, and they were on cable, so they were national before there was national wrestling. Right. The Freebirds had exposure on WTBS from Atlanta, Georgia. So, regardless of, you know, none of them are from Atlanta, they're all from Pensacola or Michael's actually from Philadelphia, but everybody saw them on Georgia Championship Wrestling, so they had adopted and adapted this Georgia persona and and took that state as their home state because that's how everybody saw them. There you go. And Coming into Texas, for us, and and also it was at a time, cable was still new. It was that new thing. Not everybody had it. If you did have it, you were rich, and you got that cable. So them coming in, it was things that were perceived on cable were better, bigger. Oh, my God, did you see what happened in Atlanta? So when the Freebirds came in, they were already stars,
0: right? They were from, established.
2: Yes, they they were already stars, and to come in, and I believe they first came in as baby faces, as friends of the Von Ericks, to help the Von Ericks avenge, and then on that faithful. I believe it was a Christmas night with Kerry Von Erich there, Michael's the guest referee, and Michael uh, Terry Gordy's got the the cage door. He's gonna make sure that Ric Flair doesn't get out and at the right time, right place. Kerry Von Eric gets that cage door slammed in his head because Kerry wouldn't let Michael help him beat Ric Flair. Because Ric Flair, Michael had gotten into it, and Michael decked Kerry and uh, I mean, decked Flair, told Carrie to pin him, and he had counted. Carrie didn't want it that way because he was good milk drinking. Damn Texan. No nothing. And at the right time, you had Terry Gordy slam that fucking door on Carrie's head, bust his ass wide open, and Rick Flair kept his title, and then Freebergs kicked the living shit out of them Bon Eric boys.
0: One of the biggest moments in wrestling, certainly of the year, but in the history of world class, right?
2: I think for world class, that was that was
0: right up there with when... Um, Kerry beat Flair? Kerry actually beat Flair, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got to be 1A or 1B. Well, let's talk about that. While they're out there, um, they filmed a music video in 1983 that really... Was pretty ahead of its time, and I know that we sort of mocked. Oh well, maybe they weren't the first to use music, but a music video like this, very well done too, I might say. Yeah, Bad Street USA.
1: Bad Street, Atlanta, GA. Doop doop, baddest street in the whole USA. Doop doop, bad street, nasty and hot. The further down that block with the
0: batter it got to do 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 see and even the music is do doo-doo, do 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 so i hear it what was the uh you know it was cool it is cool what was your perception when you're seeing that in houston is Bosch sort of shitting on that and mocking it or are you having to tell him as the as the older gentleman hey man this is pretty cool it was pretty are digging cool. this it was big it, it was and but sometimes older folks don't get it, right? No, they
2: don't. And and they don't like that damn rock and roll music. But I, I don't right. care who you are. The, the song's great. It's, it's Bad tremendous. Bad Street is awesome. Absolutely. And the fact that it was about them and, and they did it. And Michael's terrible, but he was great. You know what I mean? Michael's not that classic rock and roll singer. But However, we, he's he, David Lee Roth. He sings it with confidence, yeah. so it makes it cool. That, but he's he's David Lee Roth is not a great fucking singer, but he's David Lee Roth. Right. Michael was Michael Hayes, right? So you believed it. He believed it, and he sang it with that passion that, by God, you felt every bit of it. And that was the beauty of Bad Street USA.
0: Of course, we should mention uh, the other member of the Freebirds we haven't talked about a lot about is uh, your boy, probably known to be the guy who who got beat up a bunch in the group, Buddy Roberts. And, and Buddy Roberts was a bit of a journeyman wrestler before this, right?
2: Buddy was. Buddy had had success out in California and, and Florida, different places as a tag team. As the uh, fabulous blondes, he and um, Jerry Brown were a tag team. Great tag team. They got a lot of heat, but Buddy had just come off of a stint working as Johnny Valentine's younger brother, Dale Valentine. It failed miserably. Uh, Johnny had brought Buddy in and wanted Buddy to manage a restaurant <laughs> in San Antonio, help him run a wrestling school. All this grandiose ideas that just fell, just went right down the shitter. So Buddy was looking for something and Bill Watts is actually the one, I believe, that put Buddy with Michael and Bam Bam. And, and Michael was like, he ain't no free bird. Ah, right, well he ain't gonna wear our colors. And then they got Buddy to travel with them. They got to know Buddy, and Buddy quickly became a free bird brother.
0: It is funny that he didn't want anything to do with it at first, and then eventually came around, and they became the best of friends. I guess I should mention that Michael's attitude in wrestling was always, you leave while you're on top, so you've always got somewhere to come back to. And they left, and they went to the World Wrestling Federation. This happened in 1984. I know it's before you were there, but I'm sure you've heard the stories. What the hell happened? (laughs)
2: Freebirds.
0: <laughs>
2: you know, I, I heard that I heard the story from the the WWF version. I've heard Michael's version, but Michael, they came in and Vince had these huge ideas to do music with the Freebirds. He was using David Wolf, who was Cindy Lauper's husband and manager. The idea behind it was that David would then propel the Freebirds. This would be this this wrestling tag team that also sang, rock and wrestling baby, rock and wrestling man. And just continue it to the next level. Michael and them came up. I think that they were there maybe a month, maybe two. I don't even think they were there that long. But th- this is this is where, again, going back to your friend Dave Meltzer, where shit gets weird. Well, I haven't even mentioned him to. I mentioned him. Okay, because this is how. Just shit gets started and gets blown out of proportion. There was a, a a show that Michael missed for whatever reason, and they had Pat Patterson, who was the agent of the show, work, I think, with Terry or Buddy, whoever, and introduced him as a fabulous Freebirds, you know, Terry Gordy and Pat Patterson. So Meltzer reports in his Observer... They are making a new Freebird tag team. Uh, The new Freebirds will consist of Pat Patterson being a Freebird now. It was one night. Michael didn't show up. Pat substituted for him. And, again, this was before the Internet, but people got the dirt sheets and everything. And and I even remember Bill Watts going, Oh, my God, they're killing the Freebirds. They're putting Patterson with them. (laughs) <laughs>
0: what would that have sounded If Pat Patterson sang Bad Street instead of Michael Hayes, what would that sound like?
2: Bad Street, Atlanta, TTA. I don't know. <laughs> He's trying to make it classical somehow. <laughs> My way. But it was in the, all of that, that speculation, That, but it was stated as fact. Right. That Pat Patterson's going to be a free bird. 'Cause one night, one town somewhere in America, Pat subbed for a missing free bird.
0: And that's the kind of that's the silly shit that I fucking hate about him. But uh Michael Hazel said that he he had fallen in love in Texas and, and he wasn't really you know, his heart wasn't in the New York run because he wanted to be back with her. And allegedly, uh Terry woke up in a bad mood and uh, he had been sleeping on the grass, fell asleep outside. And it so happens. he he showed hey, up. To, we've all been there. We have. We've <laughs> all been there. Shout out to Big Booty Judy. And, and so um, he shows up one day, quote-unquote, highly out of it, and bumps into Andre, who I guess is acting as agent for the night, and Hayes recalled Andre pointing out that they were drunk, and Hayes said, no, he's not, and then Hayes fell over. So... Andre's upset because allegedly he was the one who sort of put in a good word for him. Felt like they were blowing their chance. And Hayes has gone on record as saying, I did the wrong thing for a friend. And um, he also says he never did fire the Freebirds.
2: Well, that's the story. That's the New York version of it. And I believe that the version of it happened in Chicago where Andre was playing cribbage and the Freebirds walked in. Messed up, and Andre, get out! You are fired because he was the agent that night at the show. That's so, that's their story. Sticking to it. There is
0: like another that, version right. where, you know, they they finish all their bookings and then they have a talk with Vince McMahon, and Vince shares that he doesn't think he can trust Michael Hayes, so he's fired, and maybe he got fired directly from Vince. He probably did get fired directly from Vince after
2: the fact, but uh, even Michael will tell you, yeah, they missed a show. And whether it was Andre telling him to get out or Michael going,
0: well, fuck. Is it fair to say alcohol was involved in that incident? Probably. I wouldn't be shocked. Sure. Allegedly. I mean, what the fuck? Who doesn't have a fifth of
2: Jack and a couple shots of Jaeger? By that, I mean half a bottle. And you got chasing it down with some ice beer.
0: Ice beer is the gimmick. Dave, Dave, Dave. Hey, so $250,000 record deal, does that sound right? Because that's the number Hayes has floated out there. You just said that they were going to try to do a... a, Yeah, they
2: were trying to do a record deal. I I have no idea what it was for, but it was definitely wanting to be able to take them to that next level with Dave Wolf as their manager and produce
0: albums. Uh, From there, of course, the Freebirds go to the AWA. They uh, feud with the Road Warriors for the titles. In 86, they go to the UWF. In fact, Terry Gordy was the first UWF world champion. They get in a little bit of a feud with Skandar Akbar's Devastation Incorporated, and then the uh, Freebirds break up, and Hayes becomes a full fledged babyface, and remains in the WWF, which is later sold. Or I'm sorry, UWF, which is later sold to uh, Jim Crockett in April of '87. Yeah, and that was the first time that I got to work with the Birds a lot uh, in the UWF.
2: UWF, because I was working. Bill Watts owned part of Houston, and that was during a time I was. Doing double duty TV in Dallas and also TV in Tulsa as well, and being around the birds a lot. And it was also during this time that we had taken over, when I say we, the Houston office had taken over the merchandising for UWF. Right. We did we were doing lots of T shirts on different people that had never been done before. Pictures, posters, just different things where In the past, they had done some T-shirts, but other than that, they didn't do a lot of merchandise. So we had taken it over, and we were doing some different things, and the UWF folks had ordered all these T-shirts. There were Bad Street USA, Dr. Death, there was Ted DiBiase one, uh, the Fantastics, and something else. So we inherited all of that merchandise, The first show that we did with the Bad Street USA T-shirts was a reunion arena show in Dallas. And I brought all of the T-shirts that I had, which was exactly 240 T-shirts. You remember the number. I I distinctly remember the number because that was all that they had ordered. It was whatever, 20 dozen. It was 240. That's right. Yeah. And we're thinking... Man, Dallas, Freebirds, they're going to do well. And they did do well. I mean, we, we sold a lot of, we probably sold more Bad Street shirts than we did anything else other than maybe Dr. Death. Well, that night, I made a comment to Michael. I said, Hey, Michael, I said, the, the Bad Street shirts came out good. And uh, I said, they're, they're selling real good tonight. I goes, Where the fuck did you get them? Got them from Scott. And Scott Munns was the merchandise guy that Bill had used before that. He worked directly for Bill Watts. Where the fuck did he get them? And I'm like, I don't know. Well, you can't sell my shit. Um, okay. Wasn't the place and or time to get into it. Well, Michael then, quote, I had somebody go out and camp. And they sold over two thousand T-shirts that night. I know for a fact. And he was really upset. Went to Bill, came to us, and and because we were the ones to run the merchandise, and I said, Michael, we don't even. We, there weren't even two thousand T-shirts produced. There were two hundred and forty produced, and I've still got a bunch of them. But it did sell well in Dallas. I bet you we probably sold maybe a hundred of them. That was good back in the day. No, oh, God, I had somebody up there counting, and they're considering a couple thousand sold. So we had to have a big meeting in uh, Tulsa at the fairgrounds, and Michael and his people came in, and eventually we settled, and 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 it just became, you know what? We're not going to sell it. Here's how many were ordered. We will pay you. For all of them that we ordered, for all of them that we ordered, we'll fucking give you. Here's all. Here's all of the profit. Watts even, was, even the shit we didn't sell. Even the shit we didn't sell and never sold another one. Right after that, and just cut it off because it was more trouble than it was worth. But to but to Michael's defense and his credit, he had Bad Street uh, trademarked. He had all. He had protected himself. And in the wrestling business for so long, promoters and people that were doing that you you just did it. You know what I mean? There wasn't Vince had done the deal where he had great merchandise deals for the guys and paid them a percentage of merch. That hadn't been done before. And that was something that we were starting to do by taking over the merchandise. The talent would now participate in the sales, but it hadn't been done before that. So Michael thought he was being ripped off. He wasn't, but he thought he was. And you know, he was a little um, high strung back in those days.
0: What do you think about breaking up the Free Bird? It's been a successful gang. I guess we should mention this. Is that the first gang? Is that the first faction in wrestling? It predates the Horsemen, predates DX and the NWO. Probably
2: the longest longest group together like that. Yeah, it was definitely the first threesome. It was definitely the first threesome that were in, you know, their, their gimmick was well, Fabulous Free Birds Incorporated, which means any two Free Birds could wrestle in any match. So if you've got a tag team match against Bob Armstrong and Mr. Wrestling number two, you never knew what two free birds you were going to face. Could be Michael and Terry could be Michael and buddy could be buddy and Terry. They could do any combination they wanted. And that was, that was the selling point of it. And Michael was the mouthpiece. The other two guys were the workhorses.
0: So Michael was the first threesome in wrestling these days. If, Hayes was going to be in a threesome he could probably use a little ageless male max couldn't he bruce
2: yeah well a- absolutely and also you know kind of when it um you know if you want healthy sex you know what i'm talking about your, your body needs what is called nitric oxide and now you can boost your own nitric oxide production faster than you thought possible
0: with ageless male max hang on hang on hang on are you sure Michael Hayes doesn't want to talk about this product? Because it feels like it would be right up his street, which we know is bad. Why? Because it's
2: fucking absurdly a fast formula from the number one brand of male enhancement?
1: Hey, let me tell you something. You'll get clinically tested ingredients that rapidly boost nitric oxide production, and it won't go
2: unnoticed if you do, 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 do know what I mean. Now, Agents Mail Max already taking Walmart by storm. I can't even find it at my Walmart. But you can get started by having a 30-day supply delivered right to your door. Ain't going to be no questionnaires, no online tests, and it's fast and discreet shipping. Just text the word RAM. That's right. R-A-M, RAM, to 797979. That's RAM to 797979 and you're going to get the rapid boost in nitric oxide production that you and your partner Craig Make her happy. You know what I'm going to do right now? I'm going to let you try your first 30-day bottle free. That's right, free. Just pay shipping and handling. When you text the word RAM, 797979. 79, 79. Now, if the results too intense, please decrease use. That's R-A-M. 79 79 79. This free offer is contingent on subscription. Cancel anytime. Message and data rates may apply. That's RAM seventy nine, seventy nine, seventy nine for your free 30 day supply. Do,
0: do, do. How great is it that the code is RAM for <laughs> <Ram's the spoon?
1: laughs>
2: <laughs> Well, fuck. It can't be do do do. It's got to be R-A-M because that's what I do, do, do. I ram them.
0: <laughs> I have a feeling even Vince would like that promo code ram. All right, let's talk about, um, you know, I guess we should just skip ahead. We know that the Freebirds are going to wind up in WCW, and by the Freebirds, I mean Michael Hayes and Jimmy Garvin. I know you weren't there, so we'll keep it moving here. What do you think of that incarnation? It's not the same without Gordy and Buddy, is it? No, to me, once, once the team split
2: up and you didn't have the original members, which was Michael Hayes, Buddy Roberts, and Terry Gordy, it, it just wasn't, wasn't the same. Now, throughout the years, Jimmy Garvin was always an honorary free bird, and he always was part of the gang. They always hung out together in real life, so he, he was a part of the gang. And I'll even go on, you know, going back to the UWF days back in back in the day when we would run Dallas, some of the best times ever were after our television tapings, we would go back to Jimmy Papa's house. Jimmy Papa was the, the drummer and I guess the band manager or something for the Bad Street Band and the Freebirds and just... Party. That's the first time that I actually got to meet Big Bill Moody. Percy Pringle was at Jimmy Papa's house in the after party after Dallas TV. So Garvin was always around. Garvin was one of the Freebirds. He was an honorary Freebird to Michael. It just made sense. Well, who the fuck else would be? Got to be a Freebird. No, no, no. Man, there you go.
0: There you go. Indeed. Um, they won the tag titles twice there in WCW, the United States Tag Titles twice as well, and he even beat Lex Luger to win the United States title, which really feels like something that I don't, I, I can't even believe him saying out loud. I mean, I, I watched it, but Michael Hayes was the United States Champion. So what kinda... the fuck?
2: You don't think I could be the champion of the United States
0: of America? It's just pretty wild he beat Lex Luger for that belt, just saying. What'd you think of Michael as a color commentator? He sort of flirted with that a little bit in WCW, and he helped with some of the things, the music and some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. But as a commentator, what do you think?
2: Well, Michael first did color in, in the UWF with Jim Ross, and they were a perfect pair. They were a perfect pair because they were natural. And he, Michael's a natural antagonist. If Michael were to walk in here right now, do, 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 he would immediately pick on one or both of us to take the opposite point of view, probably both of us, and take you find three different points of yes. view in there somehow. Um, he has a natural gift to gab, he is a natural antagonist, and his phrase is, You don't Wait. get it, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he, he just was great at that, and that was it, wasn't something he had to think about, right? Plus, Michael also understood the very simple philosophy of being a color commentator, which is to get talent over, not yourself. And how you get over is by getting talent over and being good at it.
0: Let's talk a little bit about um, the way he leaves WCW. It's written in the Observer. Michael Hayes quit after being offered a $75,000 per year deal. Hayes also has a seriously injured back, so the entire Johnny B. Bad Hayes scenario on Worldwide will lead to nothing their match scheduled for the February twentieth pay-per-view is out the window. That happens in February of ninety-four. You were there at the time. How does Michael's name come up the first time with events? Michael called me. Um
2: I'm sure he called Jim Ross as well, but I know he was calling me. And, and he
0: said, You still owe me for them goddamn t shirts. Hi. Hey, boy.
2: But Michael, Michael knew that he had fucked up when he was in the WWF before and sure. he didn't leave them with a good taste in their mouth. So I would bring Michael's name up, and the answer was every single time, nope, not interested. You add to that that it was well known that Michael's injury prevented him from working for WCW and that, well, he's got a back injury. How much can he do? the right time. And and it helped that both Jim and I were plugging for Michael hard. And then the right, you know, it's all timing, right, right time, right place. And this was a couple of years. It felt like, or at least every six months that Michael would call and say, just checking in. And every single time I would write his name down and bring it up to Vince. Hey, Michael Hayes is available. But when we needed that color commentator and I, don't even remember what the hell it was. It was Lawler or whoever it was, but we needed a color commentator. I said, Vince, I really believe you and Michael Hayes would have chemistry.
1: God damn it. That look. He's all grimy. That long hair. And the bleach blonde and the beard. Ugh. Just looks dirty.
2: So, so we can change the look. That's not an issue. And Vince was like, okay, if I can change the look, I'll try it on. But he has to be willing and know that up front that I want to change his look. So I, I let Michael know. I said, hey, he may ask you to cut your hair, man. And he may uh, don't like beards. So um, if you're coming into this, here's an opportunity. And it's a great opportunity because you get to work with Vince on the A Show. And that's the best spot you can be in. And I wouldn't put you in any situation that you won't excel at. So know that as well. I'm not setting you up to fail here. But there's an issue with your look. I'll shave my ass. I'll do whatever I got to do. And Michael came in. I remember his hair was down to the middle of his back. just bleached blonde and walking through the hall. Do, uh, Full beard and everything. And I was like, oh, God, this is going to be tougher than I thought. Vince met with him. They I think we put him in the studio first. They might have done a little back and forth. Vince felt instant chemistry with him. And then I was like, Gotta do something about your look, pal. How about a haircut? All right. How much? I'll just take a little off the back. Um, about fourteen inches later, and I had a I had a hairstylist upstairs in makeup. Waiting. Waiting.
0: You're a fucking asshole. Why? Because you just you did this to your brother too. Hang on, no, no, no. You oh, told up got him got him a job. Got him a job. No, don't get. Got sassy. him a job and then I was tell. able to facilitate him starting that day, that moment, within an hour. You know this whole bowing up Bruce routine is hilarious because when you said I had a stylist upstairs, you had a twinkle in your eye. You were because so I was excited. ready. <laughs> 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 you loved it. Did you film this? There's footage of Michael Hayes getting no, a haircut? I don't, I don't think. I know there's pictures. I don't think there's footage. Did he, like, put the hair in a bag and take it home? Like He might have. Jim Cornette? Might have.
2: Yeah. But, again, it, it was. I had a stylist there. I, I'd warned him ahead. i warned him before he ever left Atlanta. He's going to want to cut your hair probably. He's going to want to change your look. So we were ready if he said yes.
0: If he said no, he could have gone home, gone back to Atlanta. Would you have been disappointed had he walked in without a beard and without hair down to his back? No. would have been, Actually, I would have been ecstatic
2: because that would have said to Vince, here I am, I've, I've changed my look. What do you think? I'm, willi- I'm willing to do whatever you want, Vince. However, there was no
0: hesitation when he said, yeah, I cut my hair. So I know this is silly, but how was he dressed? Like Michael. So he had a fanny pack on.
2: Oh, I'm sure he did, and I'm sure that uh,
0: he had he had a fanny pack
2: on. He had a kind of a suit, a Michael suit. So it was like a loud, crazy color suit. No, was, I think it was cream colored. Okay. But I actually, I really don't. I remember him being in a suit. He was nicely dressed. He was dressed as Michael. But then he he did the, the did the whole thing, shaved the beard, kept the mustache, and he uh, then he was like gotta do something with that name and came up with different what do you like you know he likes music he likes things and Doc Severinsen was the leader of the Tonight Show orchestra band so who? Doc Severinsen
0: I didn't know what the fuck you just said what is a Doc Severinsen do you realize how old you are when you say Do you that? realize how uneducated you are by not knowing who Doc Severinsen Listen, is? Listen, if we're going to talk Kevin Eubanks, all right? I mean, yeah. I, I, that's what I'm saying. That's the age. Listen, Pop Pop, continue your story. So Doc Severinsen was,
2: was the leader of the most famous band in the world. Oh, Jesus. And, and then he, well, I like Jimi Hendrix. So you had Doc.
0: He liked Doc. Hang on. He liked Jimi Hendrix. This name was born from the Tonight Show band leader and Jimi Hendrix? Yes.
2: Wow. Merged together.
0: And now Doc Hendrix is born. And he liked it. Yeah. He starts as Doc in April of 95. and, And Meltzer would write, Michael Hayes debuted on Superstars as Doc Hendrix with a haircut, shave, and being much better dressed. Lawler is moving to do Raw and uh, Cornette was only a temporary co-host because he hated flying in and out. Uh, he works as a commentator, of course, for several years, but I think the most famous moment of all for him as Doc Hendricks is King of the Ring, 1996, right, with Stone Cold Steve Austin?
2: Yes, where Michael was in his nice little tuxedo, and he was the interviewer asking, talking to Stone Cold about winning the King of the Ring and Austin's infamous, most famous Line of all well, you know, you, Jake Roberts, you can thump your Bible, say your psalm, but Austin 316 says, I just whooped your ass. And it was done.
0: And he, he's he got a, uh, he played another big role in Stone Cold Success. Uh, he wrote in his book, this is Austin, I mean. One day at TV in Fayetteville, North Carolina, I remember Michael Hayes walking up to me and said, hey, kid, come here. You got a second? I said, yeah. He said, I've been trying to think of a good finish for you. You know, that Cobra clutch deal is okay, but if you do this other finish, it would be better. Wrestler Johnny Ace, who now works with JR and Talent Relations, was doing a version of it in Japan called an Ace Crusher. And he said, it's different from Ace's finish because you put the guy's chin on your shoulder, jump up, and then you land on your ass. And he got some of the local wrestlers together in the ring and said, hey, guys, do you mind helping us with this? And they started practicing the stunner that day. He did it about six times, and Michael Hayes said, pretty cool, huh? And Austin said, yeah, I like it, and there you go. Jr. named it the Stone Cold Stunner, and we're off to the races. I don't think that gets talked about enough. It doesn't, and the idea behind it was one of Michael's. Well, he should be able to hit some. He's a rattlesnake.
2: He should be able to hit some just out of the blue, like a snake bite. And hence the Stone Cold Stummer, Stummer. (laughs) the Stone Cold Stunner
0: was born. What was Michael doing besides just commentary with Vince at the time? Because that's really good insight here in the late 90s. Doing commentary. He was doing commentary. Then he did the live event centers, and he,
2: he had his hands in a lot of different things. Did he but produce, he, though? He... No, he wasn't producing wrestling matches at, by any stretch of the imagination. No one had the confidence in him at that point, but he was really, really good. the The other thing was was Michael was that guy that you would have a production meeting and you would lay everything out. And I dreaded it when I would say, "Uh, questions, comments, anybody? And if Michael was sitting in the back left-hand corner of the room, I would look to the front right. Like, okay, nobody's got any questions. Ooh, 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 I got a question. Hey, I got constantly. He still does to this day. The thing about it is, is that his questions (laughs) were very logical, very well thought out, and it it made you sometimes feel real stupid because you missed it. But Michael would pick up on little nuances that would change things and, and make them mean a lot more. And that, to me, is the genius of Michael Hayes, being able to take the larger picture in making these fine details mean that much more, and, and that's what he did. So that eventually got noticed.
0: Well, it did get noticed, and um, I mean we know what his legacy has gone on to be. I'm sure we'll talk about it a little more, but I do want to talk about all of a sudden in 1999 he pops up wrestling again in Memphis for Power Pro Wrestling. Meltzer would write, the Michael Hayes of 1984 would have been a superstar in the industry today. The Michael Hayes of 1999 is like a parody of a wrestler. It's this middle-aged, beer-bellied second baseman still wearing a tank top on a softball team who probably was a stud to his youth, if you get the picture. It was made worse when they showed a Hayes interview today in the Bad Street video from 84, and it's like seeing the father of a rocker trying to play a rocker. So Meltzer shitting on him, but why in the world did he try his hand again in wrestling in 99?
2: I think he just wanted to get in the ring and take some bumps and have some fun. That's, that's really all it boils down to.
0: Well, he did. Uh, he even became the Power Pro Wrestling Heavyweight Champion in March of 99 and dropped it in May to J.R. Smooth, who's going to go on to become Rikishi, And later that month, he started managing the Hardys on TV. And that's probably the first time that a lot of fans who are listening to our show really were introduced to Michael Hayes. How did that pairing come to be? We had the Hardy Boys. And go back to the
2: camps that we used to have all the time, the Funkin' Dojos, and the Hardy Boys had been enhancement talent for us for so long, you kind of started to take them for granted. But they had been through that. They'd done that for several years. And now you look at new talent. Where are you going to find them? And and we're looking at some of these younger guys. And Cornette is the one who said, God damn, what about the Hardys? We should bring them in. And we did. And we kept them off TV for a while, long enough so people would forget about all the times they'd had their ass whooped on TV. And we brought brought the Hardys in as a team, but neither one of them could talk. Jeff was was terrified, and, and Matt thought he could talk, but really couldn't. They needed a mouthpiece. So the idea was Michael Hayes. And Michael not only, Michael liked the Hardy Boys, felt that they had a lot of upside. So Michael was going to be that mentor to be able to go out, cut the promos for the Hardy Boys, but also be at ringside to get them through their matches, to be right there to not only tell them what to do, but sometimes show them exactly what to do and be in the heat of the moment and be able to call it for him. So Michael was there to, to get the Hardy Boys out of being that enhancement tag team and make them, if they were ever going to be big-time
0: players, this was their chance to get out of that, out of that groove. It's been said over the years, of course, that Michael Hayes was not only a big fan of the Hardy Boys, but Edge and Christian as well. And, of course, that – group of guys had some absolutely legendary matches and you've sort of talked about that in fun tones before those tables ladders and chairs matches what was the relationship like with those tag teams and and why was Michael so in love with them
2: because I think Michael saw him and Terry in both of those tag teams being young having their entire careers ahead of them and being able to travel the world and learn and and be able to experience all of these things and I'm I think I've told the the story about the Hardy Boys sitting in the diner with Michael and Michael having the idea of what was next for the Hardys. I got an idea. How about we get these dusters, all of us, and at full length all the way to the ground, we take forks and knives and spoons and we put them on the jackets. Ain't nobody else going to have that. Ain't nobody else going to have that.
0: That was his great idea for the Hardys, which actually would have been pretty cool. (laughs) Because nobody else would have had it. Motherfucker, if somebody shows up on Raw or Smackdown with utensils on it, I'm blaming (laughs) you and Hayes. All right, so let's keep it going. Let's talk about um, Fully Loaded 1999, I believe. Um, July 25th in Buffalo, New York. We've got Farouk and Bradshaw. They're the acolytes. And they're going to win the tag titles, beating Matt and Jeff and Michael Hayes. It's 2-1-3 here. And the match gets started, and JBL clotheslines the shit out of Michael Hayes. And the finish is a double powerbomb on Michael Hayes. So Michael Hayes actually gets pinned and costs the Hardys their tag titles. What do you remember about this match? dude? 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 it was it was time for Michael he had done all he could do with the Hardys
2: and it was actually kinda the original intent I think that we had served that master and Michael also being in the production meetings was you saw what he did for the Hardys he had good ideas for other people so Vince started to listen to him more and, start, and gave him more opportunities to be a part. Not to, if he can do that for the Hardys and these guys, what can he do for other talent? And so Michael was brought into that creative process and used to help You know, before we get to TV.
0: The August 9th Raw, we would see um, Gangrel beat Christian with the implant DDT after blowing mist in his eyes, and the Hardy boys would come out during the match and jump Christian Edge makes the save, but Gangrel DDT's him. And then Michael Hayes runs in to pull the Hardy Boys off, but they turn on him, and you could have heard a pin drop when they turned on Hayes. And they each gave Hayes a twist of fate, and that's it. No more Hayes, no more Hardy Boys. Was Michael disappointed he wasn't going to be on TV anymore? I think Michael felt, well, I should have a comeback. (laughs) What the fuck? How about if I went out and brought the Road Warriors
2: in? Yeah, something. I think Michael really felt that he should have had a comeback of some sort in there. But um, he was moving on. He was moving on to do what I think is – I'm not taking anything away from his in-ring career because he had a great one. Sure. A uh, phenomenal one. But I think that his forte
0: was behind the scenes. Well, he goes back to backstage work and doing color commentary again and – uh, he starts doing that on September 23rd, 1999, on SmackDown. And he does some color commentary work on Sunday Night Heat alongside Michael Cole and Kevin Kelly from 2000 to 2001. He used on a lot of international broadcasts, which covered our WrestleMania 17 episode. He got a huge pop in the gimmick battle royal. How excited was he to dust off that old robe and strut ass down there in Texas again? I think it was vindication for Michael to to come out <laughs> Do it in
2: Texas, Houston, where it's WrestleMania.
1: It's WrestleMania.
2: And Freebird's coming out. Dude, dude, dude. But the place exploded for him. Sure they they did. They were happy to see him, and he was happy to be out there. So it was a lot of fun for a Freebird. First time to be in a WrestleMania. What, what does he do sort of backstage at that point? You know,
0: 01, 02, 03?
2: Michael was, Michael was an agent, he was, but he was also a part
0: of the writing team. So he was part of creative and creating a lot of that stuff. Tell me what, not now, but what did it look like back in, you know, 02, 03, the writing process, the teams, if you will? Well, they, they would get together and they would come up with TV and then they would pitch Vince And I want to get real granular here for a minute. Like they get together in Stanford. There's a room yeah. at, in the headquarters.
2: Yeah, and actually, I wasn't even—I wasn't a part of it at that time. I was still in talent relations. So but you knew how it happened. It, it just was—it was those guys getting together, and they—they they had offices and they had a writing room, I think, at um, the studio. So those guys would all get together, then they would pitch Vince, and they would get together and work with Vince and talk
0: about ideas for TV, put it all on paper, and then go execute. These days, people probably can do. You know, group social media chats or group text messages back then? Was it all by email? Or if somebody had an idea just strike them in the middle of the night, they wrote it down and then presented it at the round table the next week? We had phones. Okay, but I'm just saying like... Yeah. Um, no, a lot of it was on the phone. A lot of it was just writing it down. Yes,
2: we had email, but... Um, that wasn't the go I still don't so. use email. No, I'm aware. <laughs> as effectively as I guess I should. But... And for, for some of us old-timers, that, that's a hiccup. I, I mean, I still write with pencil. And, cause that's,
0: and some of your old notes are fading now. They are. Because the lead is yes. disappearing. You know? Yes, they are. So let's talk about something that you knew we were going to bring up, the, the plane ride from hell, May 5, 2002. I wasn't there. I know you're going to say that. But Sean Waltman says, Michael Hayes was getting real bad, and he's got a lot of heat. Nobody likes him. He was drunk, rowdy as fuck, like being a dick. Loud and obnoxious. Hayes almost pissed on Linda McMahon. He was all fucked up, trying to whip his dick out. He didn't know it was Linda. He thinks he's at a fucking bathroom. And he starts saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He just keeps saying, wait a minute, over and over. And the story goes that Bradshaw fucking clocked him and knocked him out. So Hayes is out cold, and he's got that fucking long hair and a ponytail and that mullet. You know, you're still rocking the mullet. And I said, somebody get me a pair of scissors. And I remember Lawler over there just giggling, and everybody's like, no, 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 you're not going to do it. I grabbed those scissors like I was pulling a pair of tape brass knucks out of my tights, really over-exaggerating, and the whole plane just erupted. And uh, Hayes would not realize it was gone until he went through customs. Now, this is all Sean Waltman's account of what happened. What do you remember about the plane ride from hell and the shenanigans Michael Hayes allegedly was involved in?
2: Well, okay, first of all, those are... Two different plane rides that kind of merged into one because the, the alleged urination took place in another plane ride that I was actually a part of. The plane ride from hell is where Michael got his ponytail cut off. And from what I hear, it's kind of that's how it happened. Michael passed out up in the front of the plane and they kind of had enough and his ponytail was gone. And when he discovered, hi,
1: hi. Who's the pussy that ain't got the balls to face me?
2: And I like, think Jerry Briscoe finally threw his bags up because Michael was challenging everybody on the plane. And Briscoe goes, Michael, you won't fight. We ain't fight. Fuck it. Let's go right now. I don't care. I didn't cut your hair, but shut the fuck up. We can go right now. And then when it was Jerry Briscoe that shut up, that, that said something, I like, well, fuck. I, don't, I won't fight you, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So the uh, pee on Vince, uh, Linda McMahon, pretty famous story. He even alluded to it in his Hall of Fame speech. It led to uh, a saying that became pretty popular with him and some WWE brass. That's O'Neil. Yeah.
2: Well, Michael, Michael had to go to the bathroom. He walked up. Clo- he was close to the bathroom, and he he started to. Um, I guess he thought he was in the bathroom. Uh, I came from. I saw it from behind. Hunter saw it from the front. But we both saw it, thankfully, before it was too late and tackled Michael into the actual bathroom. It was one of those doors that kind of went in. And both Hunter and I are kind of looking at ourselves going, God, he's not gonna, He's not pissing on us, is he? Because, uh, yeah, Free Bird was free.
0: Well, they were free at... Uh... The wedding, the famous Hunter Hurst Helmsley Stephanie McMahon wedding. Uh, a pretty famous story here. Maybe he was uh, overserved a little bit. Wade Keller would write Michael Hayes made a spectacle of himself at the wedding of Triple H and Stephanie McMahon. An attendee paraphrased Hayes' drunken wedding reception antics. First, Hayes got on stage and performed Jailhouse Rock with the wedding band and his performance drew a few uncomfortable chuckles and was considered out of place by many of those in attendance. Wrong. That was fucking on fire and was one of the highlights of the wedding. The the jailhouse
2: rock performance was off the chart great.
0: Where Michaels lost everyone was when he took the stage again later that night in order to perform another song. This time the band refused, which led Hayes to berate them. Hayes decided to sing without the band supporting him, and based on one reception attendee's account... Hayes said something along these lines. This song goes out to Stephanie and Hunter. Fuck. I mean Stephanie and Paul, the billion-dollar princess and the million-dollar talent. He starts singing a song, encourages everyone to uh, join in, and specifically Kurt Angle speaks up and says that you're making a fool out of yourself. And eventually Linda takes the stage, snatches the mic away from Hayes, and says thank you, Michael, in the most sarcastic manner. It was described to the torch as low-class and low-brow, everything Vince McMahon doesn't want to be. Allegedly, Triple H was pissed off by Hayes's antics, as were a number of guests. Nobody wanted to throw the first punch and mess up the wedding, but he had one coming, said one observer. You were there. What did you think of the, uh, the encore performance by Mr. Hayes? Highly entertaining. Uh, you know, he might have
2: had a little too much to drink, but he... Like I said, the f- first performance, he tore the house down. And I don't think anybody was disappointed by that one. That one was absolutely great. Then when he went on to sing a song that no one knew what he was trying to sing, and there was there might have been an F word in there, and, but that was absolutely classic. And when Kurt went up to say, hey, Michael, why don't you come on?
1: What are you going to do? What are you gonna do? Shoot on me?
2: And that's when Linda intervened and just took the microphone and um, thanked him very much. And Michael went, "I think I'm gonna go to bed now, Dude, Dave, Dave. I'm sleepy and tired. I think I need to go to bed."
0: I got an ideal. How much heat was on Michael after that? I
2: don't. I don't think there was any heat. It was a fun. I mean, it was a fun. Really, it was one of those. Fun moments you had something to talk about.
0: Go ahead and tell the story that Brian Gerwitz told at one of our New York shows a few years ago, where Stephanie's pregnant, and everybody's sort of talking about, you know, all the crazy antics that Michael Hayes has had over the years. And Brian raised the question, "What would Michael Hayes have to do in order to get fired?" And he went through some of these crazy antics where he almost peed on Linda. He maybe. Showed out a little bit, had a little too much to drink, overindulged at the wedding. And he, he sort of, Brian made up a song, maybe a Beyonce song. I think Beyonce's was All the Single Ladies, and Michael Hayes had a different one. Little stupid baby, something like that. <laughs> oh, you little stupid baby. Yeah, it was. The idea being, if you, I'm going to jog your memory here a little bit. Brian's, <laughs> he would do an impression. Of Michael Hayes. <laughs> and he would say, That baby don't know shit. <laughs> stupid fucking baby. Can't walk and talk. Who'd that baby ever meet?
2: Yeah. That little baby ain't done
0: shit. And then he broke into... All, all stupid. stupid
2: babies. You're a stupid baby. Yeah, well, we had we had fun with that.
0: Talk about Brian and Michael's relationship. Um,
2: Brian Gewirtz was lead writer of Raw... Extremely talented. Brian listens to
0: our show, so shout out to Brian. Yeah, well, you just butchered Fuck his him. story, by the way. I know I did. I, I teed it up as good I, as I could. Yeah,
2: but you know what? It's
0: just come to a show sometime. Well, I guess we're out of shows. Yeah, so. well, you know what oh, well.
2: happens. But uh no, they had Brian was raw and Michael was smackdown. deep, dude, dude, dude. So it was kind of a love hate relationship and it was it was one of those that uh Michael being from the South Brian being from New York City, it was a bit of a culture clash as well, and they just had they had a lot of they had a lot of fun together. But I, there was a ton of mutual respect for one another. But it was fun to listen to the interaction. Is is Brian learned an awful lot about the South, and Michael learned an awful lot about the North?
0: Do you remember uh, his um, about his hair? Brian had a, a theory about whether my, Michael's hair Oh, well, hair yeah, was Michael's
2: up. hair. If Michael's hair was uh, up in a ponytail, then it was safe. You could, you could go party with Michael. But uh, if, was, if the bun was undone, you better run. Because <laughs> that meant Beowulf was out. So as soon as Michael took the hair down out of the ponytail and it
0: was, the bun was undone, you better run. On the December 5th, 2005 episode of Raw, Michael Hayes becomes involved in a verbal confrontation with Edge, where Hayes attacks Edge's lack of main event experience and the details of his love life. And then Hayes is later attacked by Edge. Uh, in October of 2006, he becomes the head creative writer for SmackDown after Alex Greenfield left the company. You were there at the time. It's a long way from uh, having to get a haircut to get a job to now had hey, a creative for SmackDown, huh? Yeah, but Michael, you know, again,
2: a lot of that shit's, you know, corporate titles and things like that that don't always mean that much because Michael had, yes, he was in charge of that, and and he he did do that. But he was such an integral part in not just SmackDown but also Raw in, in everything that we did creatively. Um, I hate to say this out loud because people will – We'll judge it, and I'll have to listen to it for Michael. But Michael really is a savant and a genius in the wrestling business in a lot of ways. I mean, he, he has a very unique outlook on the business and how it's presented and has been able to, to take that outlook and, and create a lot of interesting things. So uh, I, I think that especially when it comes to unique and creative finishes that he uh, – I don't think there's
0: anybody better. What's he do these days?
2: I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think Michael works with, with the live events, but he also uh, is a producer at TV, too. So he helps young talent.
0: He is able to take something to make it make sense. Allegedly, there are you know top guys who are sort of assigned a guy. Like a um, a John Cena, allegedly, had R Anderson as his guy. Does... Does Michael have guys? He probably
2: does. I don't know who the hell they'd be nowadays. But Michael was was one of those that, for example, Pat Patterson always loved to work with Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. And Michael was somebody, he loved to work with Stone Cold, and obviously he loved to work with the Hardys and people like that. But Michael was instrumental in, in a lot of guys getting over and taking them to the next level with just that little tweak on their character to make them
0: from just being a star to a superstar. One of Michael's last big promos on TV was a, um, a segment with MVP back in 2007, December of 07 on SmackDown. MVP had a little talking segment called the VIP Lounge. What do you remember about that? I know Michael had to enjoy one last piece of business. Yeah, I
2: eight. think Michael, lo- Michael
0: would love any time
2: to have camera time and be able to be out in front of the audience and, and have fun and get creative and be put in that legendary role. And I know that when he went into the Hall of Fame, being able to perform Bad Street at a WWE Hall of Fame was a huge thrill. I think that he was uh, looking for an oxygen tank, Uh, about 30 seconds into it. (laughs) That's a whole another story. But I know that that was something that was really special to him and a thrill for him to actually do all these years later and have people. When we had Michael at our live show in Atlanta to me the best part is, you know, it's a kick when when we do and I'll sing, uh, spend my days and everybody sings it with me. That's the biggest kick in the world. But when Michael sang Bad Street in Atlanta, brother, everybody came. Yeah, I had goosebumps. It was awesome. And that, that to me, is just something that, that you, can't, you can't replicate, and that feeling is unlike anything in the world.
0: What do you think Michael
2: Hayes' legacy in the business will be? Free Bird. Uh, I think to the general public it will be Free Bird, And to, to those of us that know him, for me – my my viewpoint is i think that michael will go down as is one of the greatest minds in the business creatively and when he first started to do that there were old timers um like roddy piper hulk hogan that when they had come back they'd been away for a while and they came back and all of a sudden michael hayes is the one that is talking to them about creativity. They're going what the fuck is this guy doing here man it's like you know he was a he was a free bird down south, and what would he ever do? But once they got past that and listened to him and worked with him, it was like, give me Michael. <laughs> you know, I want to work with him. And so for me, I think Michael's legacy will be the continuation of the business and being able to put that creative spin
0: and make every make as much on the show mean something as possible. There's been... Um A fair amount of negativity online about Michael Hayes over the years, people who didn't really know him and people who, you know, believe what they read one way or another. And as as me and you have discovered sometimes what you read on the inside or on the internet is one-sided or slanted and it doesn't tell the whole story. You were there for a lot of the ups and downs behind the scenes of Michael Hayes. How would you describe him as a person? I would describe Michael Hayes as, as probably one of the sweetest human beings I've ever met. He really yep. doesn't
2: have a malicious bone in his body. And when you, you hear him and look at him and you actually take the time to get to know him, you realize, I want him to be my friend and I want to learn from him. Yep. And I don't know anybody that has taken that time to get to know him and not just listen to the rumor and the innuendo and the bullshit out there, that you'll see he is one of the most genuine, brutally honest, but one of the most genuine people you will ever, ever encounter in your lifetime. And I'm happy. I I told a story just last night to somebody um, about Michael and the first time that my wife met Michael Hayes, and she was terrified of him. Mine, too. Yeah. And it was like, oh, my God, what the, what the hell is this? And then she got to know Michael. Yep. <laughs> and it was, um, you know, he's got a special place in our heart and our home. And, and he's he's one of my, you know, one of those guys in the business that I look at and go,
0: okay, he's my buddy. He definitely has a facade, though. You oh, know, yeah. He, he puts up the big, the big wall and the big hard shell. But then once she gets to know him, it's a totally different guy, and that was my experience, too. Years ago when she and I first went to his house for the first time, she had hung out with him you know, in social settings for a lot, but actually going to his house and seeing him interact with his dogs and getting to know the real him at oh, yeah. home, it's a different guy.
2: Yeah, Jerry Briscoe and I, every time we were in Atlanta, would stay at Michael's house. That was always an experience. Um, but JoJo
0: A's. Uh, <laughs> JoJo was his dog. Uh, everybody who saw the Hall of Fame knows about JoJo yes
2: and, and JoJo JoJo was awesome man but again he, he's just regular he's flesh and blood and he fucks up makes mistakes we all do um, but as much as he would like for you to think sometimes that he's mean and nasty and snarling he's just a teddy bear one of the sweetest people you'll ever meet
0: That is until he takes his ageless male max and then all that changes a little bit Look,
2: yeah Ace Bell Max Patent's pending formula has got an ingredient to help boost your total testosterone that promotes greater increases in muscle size, twice the reduction in body fat percentage, and an amazing 64% increase in nitric oxide, which can be handy in the gym if you know what I mean, <laughs> and in the bedroom. Do, do, do. Try your first 30 day bottle free. They shipping and handling. When you text the word, Ram, R-A-M-797979, messaging data rates may apply.
0: Let's do some rapid-fire questions. Let's start with a big one here. We ask for your questions on Twitter, and um, Michael Hayes has a question. I'll let you read it.
2: I got a question. How are you really going to have this show without me?
0: No guests needed.
2: We, we don't do guests here. Do,
0: do, do. Have you guys talked about the fact that we're going to be doing his show?
2: Yes, and he's very upset that we're actually doing it professionally in a studio today in New York City.
0: He wanted to come by. He goes, well, Fuck! I just want to come by and say, deep, deep, deep. Bacabella wants to know, what was the most ridiculous thing he ever asked Jeff Hardy to jump off of?
2: Hey, Jeff, can we get a trained shark? and you could ride it up onto the beach and then do like a quadruple backward flip. I right, fuck, I don't know, man. He's asked Jeff to jump off it.
0: Damn near anything wasn't nailed down. Uh, Josh Whalen wants to know, can you guys put together a glossary of hazisms? Uh, what's the uh, origin of doot-doot-doot and Mabes? I don't even know what you're talking about on that one. Now, he's saying knaves, uh, which is uh, a form of knuckles. It's uh, like, hello, Mabes. Describe how you do it, though.
2: Well, you just – it's
0: kind of like a fist bump, but it's a knaves bump. Not with the top knuckle, but no, with the middle with the knuckle. the knuckle knuckles, yeah,
2: yeah. And, and it's just knaves. And doot, doot, doot is – which we've, we've told this so many times when I first started talking about Michael Hayes and doot, doot, doot. And Hunter has a famous interview where he talks about when he got his hair cut and says, well, I don't want to be like Michael Hayes walking around with my hair down to my ass. Doot, dude, dude, dude Um That's just simply not something Michael has ever said. However, if Michael were to make a sound when he walked, it would be doot, doot, doot. And I credit Brian Kwertz for, for that one as well. So it, it's when we first started doing that, Michael called me and says, <laughs> I see Michael Hayes, and I answer the phone. Hey, he goes, hey, I just want you to know something. I said, yeah. He goes, I ain't never seen a dude, 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 in my life. I said, I know, Michael, but you know that if you were to make a sound, that's what it would be. It would be dude, dude, dude. He goes, all right, then. <laughs> End of conversation. I'm like, yeah, nobody said nobody. Michael's never said it. Now he does all the time, by the way.
0: Yes, all the time. Yeah.
2: Now he do doot, doots.
0: And he has his own custom fanny pack now. Tell everybody about that.
2: He's ah, got the greatest fanny pack in the world, man. It's got Freebird, it's got the fabulous Freebirds Hall of Fame and two different patches on it. And it's got a super wide band that goes around his super wideness. And it's got Freebird Hall of Fame. Very nice. It is. I, I need to get one of those. i got to find out where they had that made.
0: Bacabella wants to know, better pitch man in wrestling, uh, Hendrix or Don West?
2: I'll go with Michael, just because just Don West didn't hear.
0: I love you for that. Um, the Street USA album, did you ever get it? No. What about Michael's album, Off the Streets? Fuck no.
1: <laughs> Not just no, but fuck
0: no. Uh, Road Habib wants to know What are three things that Hayes did That really pissed Vince off God I think You know
2: Early on obviously not showing up for for Shots and kind of fucking up the Record
0: deal but I think Vince is highly entertained by him We got lots of questions About um, The Freebirds appearing at the beginning of the Highlander Movie do you know anything about that Uh, It was something that was done In the AWA
2: so that was, a, that was a big deal because Vern was going to overtake Vince. I'll have guys in major motion pictures. Um, but, no, I really
0: don't. I just find it funny that it, that's the only part of the Highlander movie I've ever seen. Tons of questions about what's in Michael Hayes' fanny pack. Dude, dude, dude! You'll never know. Sometimes it, rat- it used to rattle.
2: I kept my mints in there, my Altoids.
0: I don't know why that's funny, but no, it is. Yeah. He does keep the world's most worn-out wallet in there, though. You, you remember the old Seinfeld episode yes. where Costanza had way too much?
2: And, and Michael's back problem is from being in the fanny pack and weighing him down frontwards versus sitting on it and fucking up his back the other way.
0: Lots of questions about uh, whether or not Michael has a low-key big hog. Do you want to comment? I don't even know what that is. Um... Do you ever do you ever have any interesting stories about Michael in airports, one way or another? <laughs> no, but I will say this: Come when my on. brother Tom got
2: married, um, we we got snowed out and rented a car, and Michael got us from wherever the hell we were in the Carolinas to Knoxville, Tennessee, in record time. Michael's one of the best wheelmen you'd ever want to know. I disagree.
0: Oh, he's great. He about killed me at a Ruby Tuesdays once. But you're still here, right? I'm still here. Okay, that yeah. makes him a green wheel man. That's what's funny is he turned to me and said, but, but did you die? <laughs> he
2: didn't die, boy. I got you here. You know, i saying. Deep, deep, deep.
0: You don't have a good Michael Hayes Airport story. Come on. No. We usually tell it on live shows, but fuck, we're done with them. Oh, so, no, no, no. I'm not going to tell that one, no. All right, well, come join us. Can yeah, we, can that's a live that one. We will tell it on Monday night. With that's J. a live R. one. Will you tell it on Monday night? Maybe.
2: Yeah, sure, why not? All
0: right. Well, listen, I had fun talking about Michael PSA's. We'll try to get some more questions in on Patreon over the weekend. We appreciate you guys hanging in here with us, and uh, this is going to be a fun WrestleMania weekend, Bruce. Let's go ahead and have you sort of address the elephant in the room. Not only are you back with WWE, you're back in the mania of WrestleMania season. What's a day in the life of Bruce Prichard like right now? Uh, well, so far I've had roughly what did I calculate before? Uh, three. I've had three and a half hours sleep since Tuesday. You have meetings that start at eleven fifteen at night. Yeah, and they go till five o'clock in the morning, and then the next meetings at ten. A.m. The next meetings ten a.m. So
2: things like that. Lots of lots of meetings, and ah, man, it's WrestleMania time. It's you just kind of go.
0: Sleep's the enemy, anyway. Sleep when you're dead. If you've got people who are listening. And they're like sort of on the fence about um, WrestleMania this weekend. What's your advice for them? Do? Well, by God, I think it's gonna.
2: This one could be. I think when you look out, look at it on paper and go, "Yeah, other ones were bigger. They were different." I think when this is all said and done, is going to be one of those holy fucks. Yeah. I really do. I think this is going to be, after the fact, one of the greatest WrestleManias, and, and that that's a little insight, folks. In that, I, I think that this will be one of those crazy things that people will be talking about for a long time to come.
0: Well, we hope you guys are talking about this episode, and we'll see you next Friday right here at noon on Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Shaka
3: A new dimension in tag team competition in professional wrestling today. Their spokesman is Mr. Michael Hayes. That's right. Don't you ever forget fabulous Freebirds. Ladies and gentlemen, you have seen all kind of great tag teams come through your area. And you have always seen two men compromise the tag team, but before your eyes, you do see three. And all three of you that's right, all three of us. That means you never know. You can never plan your strategy down the t because there's three of us. It may be Buddy and I wrestling. It may be Terry and I. It may be Terry and Buddy. You never know. So you've always got to be on your toes because you understand we are the hot childs of the city. They do run wild and I do look pretty, baby. Mm, get a close-up on that face, Gordon. (laughs) I wonder if you'd mind introducing uh, these men. One at a time. Behind me, my big brother, the main man, the stud, 270 pounds of romping, stomping, walking, talking, graveyard destruction. He is the true, the only, the original master of disaster. He is not a drugstore cowboy. He is not an urban cowboy. He is a space cowboy. And beside him, one of our partners and our main man, the man that came in when we needed a helping hand. 230 pounds of sizzling stuff and baby he don't stop till he gets enough this is our partner Buddy and last but not least where women would like to feast me. 240 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal so doggone bad you think I'm unreal. And let me tell you something, I got prettier hair and Farrah faucet, more moves than John Travolta. I'm sexier than Mar- Marilyn Monroe ever thought she could be. And all this may sound pretty and it may sound sweet, but it goes from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. And the main thing you got to keep in your mind is this, that we are the greatest, the newest, the youngest, and the latest. And we are coming down to Georgia, And When we come to your city, we will get down with our nitty-gritty. We've broken attendance records everywhere. We draw more than Bob Seger's ever thought about. Hart, the Commodores, more people have seen us. We broke the New Orleans Superdome attendance record, baby. So I want to say this closing remark, Gordon Soley. Everybody out there, you do whatever you want to say and do whatever you feel you must. But when the result ends up, another one. The fabulous Freebirds.
1: And Bruce it's your boy Michael P.S.A.s. I heard y'all was doing a podcast about me and that gave me a little idea. dream Do-do-do. 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 Do-do-do-do. do do I'm packing my fanny pack and I am wearing my ugliest suit today. I can't wait to hear what you boys say All the podcasts about me. Whole damn show about Michael P.S.A.s. I did all the slam jamming that you want me to. Singing, strutting with my shirt off lock only I could do. Free bird rules like I used to. New day, I'm looking right at you. And everyone remembers when I talked to Steve. Was that the time that I coined Austin 316? Well, my fucking course, that's the only thing that I could mean. I'll whip your ass. Sorry, Steve. Hey, I got. Charming guy, I got an ideal. The Michael P.S. Hay show, featuring Hey Hey, it's Conrad Thompson. Get I want some of that podcast money, baby. My God, what ideal? Give me a podcast. Comrade I'll want Some of that cash That you've been Spreading round To bruise And a off But now Chivaldi Chivaldi Show sucks Michael Pierce Go to hell, buddy. I'm a semi-charming guy. I deserve my own show. Me and you, (laughs) Conrad. Don't believe any of the embarrassing stories Bruce tells about me. Three birds for life by Fanny Pack. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together.